just because you are eating pizza or ice cream or buying a toilet seat, this is no evidence of westernization. People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you. All right, Niemann Hao guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Dragonfolio China podcast. My name is Eric, and today I want to talk about whether China and the West, namely the US and Central Europe, rather drift apart, or, like some theories also suggest, is the world becoming more and more homogenous? Are actually China and the West becoming more and more alike and turn actually into the same direction? Um, I remember the first time I came to China, I still had the belief that many Chinese regard the Western world as a kind of crown, as the absolute peak, as an ideal world. It didn't take me very long to figure out that it is actually not the case. And today, I feel like for a lot of Chinese, it's less desirable than ever to really become a Western state or live in a Western world like we do in Europe and North America. And why did I have this impression in the first place? Well, we all know that China in the last decades was often looking up to the West. And that's because the West was the most prosperous, the most wealthy, also often the most stable place. And of course, the reason is that, which I mentioned several times before, is simply that the Industrial Revolution and all other uh, advancements took place much earlier in the West. So Due to the political and economic system, the West was able to advance. And uh, apart from, you know, the wealth and all that obvious uh, stuff like money and uh, people uh, living very free and can spend their money and have a lot of resources, the most obvious is, of course, brands, the companies and all these labels, all these big brands in the world that we have are automatically more or less associated with the West. This has already changed a bit, but in the past, it's just like this. So Chinese always admired not just our economy, our technology, and uh, yeah, also, of course, fashion. And yeah, you, you can name so many examples. Think about German engineering the cars. Think about French and Italian fashion labels. Think about American uh, sports like the NBA. Think about the movie industry, Hollywood, all of these things. And of course, uh, Chinese in part, at least, also admired our culture and uh, what we have. And this was kind of 30, 40 years ago, when China was just about starting to open up. They had basically no brands. And when I say no brands, I really mean no brands. Interesting, if you uh, look on the Fortune Global 500 list, which are the top companies by sales worldwide, right now you can say that around 50% are from China and the US. So they absolutely dominate this list. 
This year for the first time, even China is leading the list for the first time. So out of these 500, 124 companies are from mainland China and Hong Kong. I think in an economic sense, it's okay to put them together. And um, the US uh, now accounts for around 121. So you see there's a certain balance and they are dominating this list. And here's the interesting fact. When the list was first published in 1990, guess how many Chinese companies were in the list compared to the 124 right now? If you guess zero, then that's the correct answer. So China didn't have any, any brands that were internationally recognized. They had the, basically, they had the state, state-owned enterprises, they had large collective enterprises, but nothing like really brands with a good reputation and any uh, yeah, real brand value. However, China was lucky to have leaders um, who were aware of their weaknesses and of other countries' strength. So what they did in the first place is they went traveling. They, got, uh, they went abroad, they went overseas, and they got inspired by the best practice that they found in North America, in Europe. And so today, the wealth and success that China has is partly based on the Western model, because they found that is what works. And so they applied a lot of strategies and uh, a lot of uh, tactics but the important thing is, this is why China is so successful at the end, is they still kept their own way of doing things. They did not just copy and paste. I mean, partly they did with all the you know counterfeit and, and stuff. But overall, if you look at the Chinese system, it was not just that they did, okay, that's awesome. We're going to do it exactly that way. So they did a lot of trials like Shenzhen, which was the first, yeah, you can say, more capitalist city in China. So they, they just, uh, yeah, they, they tried where this model works in China as well. And as it worked in Shenzhen, they said, okay, I think we can expand this idea. We can use it at other places as well. And this is how China finally, yeah, picked up really pace in its economic development. And today we have a country that is... I think more capitalists than many other places in the Western world. It, China, to my mind, is way more capitalist than Europe these days. And I would even argue partly it's more capitalist than the US, but I think it depends a bit on the state. So to make a general statement here is a bit difficult. But if you look the true China, and I'm not talking about the government, I'm talking about how China really works economically, then China is quite capitalist these days. Um, we often hear this term, uh, China is like uh, socialism with Chinese character or something. I think that's quite misleading and it does not really fit. China definitely has its own system. That's true. It's not comparable to any other country. Um, but yeah, to compare it with these terms is a bit difficult. So now the question is, how westernized is China at this stage? And... Is it likely becoming even more Western as it is prospering? The question whether China is Westernized, I would definitely say no. Because the dominating culture is the Chinese Han culture. 92% of Chinese are Han and they're living their culture 
until today I don't see this changing anytime soon. Also the dominating philosophy, like in many other Asian countries by the way, is the Confucius-based philosophy in, in Japan, in Taiwan, in Korea, you also have a strong influence. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make a additional episode about this topic very soon. I think it's, it's important that people understand a bit about this, uh, about this philosophy and why it is influencing and how it's influencing the society and the behavior of Chinese. But for now, let's just keep in mind that this is the dominating philosophy and it's quite different from, from our Western model. Um, we have different philosophers who influenced us. And so whether China is westernized is, I think, a question that needs to be handled with the cultural, in a cultural layer. And for me, definitely no. Just because you are eating pizza or ice cream or buying a toilet seat, this is no evidence of westernization. And some people might say, now, yes, but the reason that China is doing so so great these days is that they used Western capitalism, they used economic systems that make countries becoming richer rather than poorer. And, of course, if you look historically, capitalism was found where? Well, basically in the West, right? You can say that it dates back to... I would say the 17th century in the Netherlands, where you for the first time probably had a real capitalism, or at least it was named capitalism. At the end, capitalism is nothing but a economic system based on private ownership. And to my mind, without doubt, it's the most natural and successful economic system that we know until today. There's nothing better. That's definitely what history has proven. Prior to that, China had a very socialist, communist system, which was also, by the way, invented in the Western world, um, but has a very bad reputation nowadays due to its failure. And this is why China, at the end, also got rid of it. You have the Communist Party, but that's just a name. It's not really a communist country. So I believe that China is using its own way. And just because they use some Western models, like some capitalist structures, it does not say anything about how Western a country really is. Just because they build a few skyscrapers doesn't mean China is necessarily super Westernized. We often um, think that modernization equals Westernization, and that is not really true. What we saw recently is even a... Well, contra-movement, we saw signs that China wants to kind of escape from the Western influence. It's a bit like, okay, your, your system helped us to become better, but now we want to step back a bit culture-wise. And, well, you have to understand that along with the railroads, the factories, and the, uh, all the ideas Westerners brought, the uh, social and political relationships also damaged the credibility of Confucianism and they see it as a very important part of the culture. So Western cultural influence lately have been more and more suppressed. You see it especially in schools um, where <clears throat> kind of a renaissance of um, the Confucianism values is taught again. So students are more confronted with these values again 
and also how textbooks are changed history-wise, you see that there is definitely a change. They even ban a lot of books and they focus on their own culture and values. And, well, the reason is, of course, they want to preserve their own culture and not have too much influence from America and Europe. That also is, I think, for the reason that the Western atmosphere generally is more dominated by violence and sex, which is seen still as a off-limits topic, often in China, although it's changing, but especially the increasing violence, which is um, unarguably existent in the Western world, it's not really there in China, and China does, is not keen on having this at all. So I can understand China's approach to a certain degree. Um, I don't think that, they, uh, that the censorship which they partly establish is always that great. It's very questionable because you should listen to both sides. You should know about how does, uh, how does the world work, how are other cultures like and why. On the other hand, you can of course argue that, well, what do we learn about Asian culture in our schools? Nothing. Basically nothing. If you're not really very interested um, and do some own research, you learn nothing about Asian culture. And this is kind of what happens in China now as well, uh, whether it's related to history, to philosophy. Um, that's how, how China works right now. So you can say that both the West and the East uh, are more and more focusing on themselves when it comes to these these things and mainly to yeah preserve their own their own culture, which is seen as a major strength. And well, of course, recently, especially in regards to the Corona epidemic, you even have this kind of uh, blaming attitude that you blame other systems and cultures for their weaknesses. And that first and foremost happens to strengthen their own culture as well and say, hey, look, their culture is totally blowing. Look, do you want to be like them? And look what we have right now. We are doing okay. So that's kind of the message that, um, yeah, a lot of governments um, also send towards their citizens. And yeah, I mean, for China, to be honest, these days, it's pretty easy to say, look, how they are how they present themselves and all the pictures going around the world and China sees it and they use it. It's, it's easy marketing. They don't even have to do much. Some people call it brainwashing. I think they just uh, emphasize it very much. They, they, they focus on the failures, just like the West focus on the um, yeah, weaknesses of the Chinese system. Back to my actual topic, does China become more like the West? Does the West maybe even become more like China? I think the underlying assumption for many successful players, in this case countries, is that they believe everyone wants to become like them. Many countries think that because they are at the top right now, everyone wants to be exactly like them, which is a fallacy. People in China, until today, they admire Americans, they admire Germans, they admire Italians and other folks for in, for their individual conditions, for their achievements, for their life. But Chinese are not really jealous. They see the success of these countries and they think, okay, maybe I want to have I want to drive this car as well. And maybe I want to live in a big house as well or something. But the way they achieve it 
might be very differently and the time frame might also be different. They might say, okay, for me it's too late, but my son can still do it and I'm not going to achieve this at any expense. So they will still stick to the path that they see for themselves and for their country. They would just see, okay, what can we use from them? And what can we maybe not do? What can we do better? So we apply what fits to us, to our culture, to our attitude towards doing things. We apply what is smart, what works, and the rest we just forget about it. And in addition to that, it's important that you understand that most Chinese do not want to become 100% like people in Europe and North America. They see certain living conditions, certain possibilities and think, oh, that's nice. I would like to have that. But it's not like they want to copy this and live exactly the same life, becoming Christians, following all the philosophies, living, living the same life, eating the same food, having the same lifestyle. No. And that's important to understand. My personal favorite when it comes to these kind of debates and conversations, do they want to become like us, is that we always think that China is only fully developed once they established a democracy. So that is to say democracy is the best we have and every country needs to have it. Otherwise, they will never leave Stone Age. Nearly everyone claims that China must become a democracy. And don't take me wrong here, I'm not taking a stand for absolutism or anything like that. But first of all, we have to notice that plain democracy hardly exists. Apart from a few exceptions like Switzerland, we barely have a real democracy in the West either. It's my opinion. Secondly, Yes, I think it's the best system that we have, that we've found so far. It's not an ideal system, but it's the system that unarguably works best overall. But it should not equip us with the arrogance to tell other countries that there's no other way to go. And what most Chinese would tell you if you confront them, I let's say educated Chinese, you confront them with the democracy idea, then they would say, hey, look, Back in the 90s, China and India roughly had the same GDP per capita. India being a democracy, China being ruled in a very totalitarian way, today is doing much, much better than India. China is out of sight economically and it guards to wealth. And, well, now you already might struggle to explain what is really better with a democracy. And if you look how Western countries present themselves lately with their democracies, and China is looking at them and say, what is going on there? Then you cannot really say that they're doing a really good job in promoting the democratic idea recently. And so for China, which is still on the rise, which is developing every single day, it is... It's just hard to convince them to, to have a democratic system. So also in this case, I don't see China becoming uh, westernized. Um, of course, the system China has right now only works because they have a well-working government. It's important that, well, you have inclusive economic and political institutions who, um, yeah, who spread the power over society, although they're 
obviously the dominating leaders they um yeah they enabled economic growth by giving away power to the private sector that's why china is doing so so um so well and at the end what really works are incentives incentives are key and china or the government they gave incentives and that is because even though they have this more or less absolutism in the government but they used capitalist methods to enable the growth in china and what we see partly i'm now referring mostly to europe we see in europe we say wow we are amazing democracies but we use more and more socialism and partly communism for our economic systems and now look how we are doing and how china is doing so my point here is just because something is on your flag and you label that you're you have a great political system and you're the you follow the western model it doesn't mean automatically that you are staying at the top and that you are going to succeed in the in the years ahead or in other words i think countries can run in different modes and still be successful one system might work for one country but it might not work perfectly for the other or it takes time for for us it's I think it's really hard to swallow that one day, most likely one day, the most powerful country is not from the West and has a fundamental different culture and political system. That's really hard to accept for people because that's against what we are told and what is taught to us all our lives. We think the Western system is the superior one and the way we do things is the right thing and most other parts of the world are inferior and that's not going to change and now we see it is possible and that is what is yeah confusing and what many people don't want to want to accept however um we must face reality and uh, you know i don't want to be the white knight sending out a super moral message here but as a fact the US, Europe and China must get along. They must work together on common issues if they really stop collaborating on the big problems that we might have, such as pollution, climate change, trade. That is really bad. So the economic decoupling that is partly taking place right now because of maybe some cultural differences, because of different attitudes, is um, really putting us back it represents a radical departure from the spirit of globalization and it's also leading us away from the belief of open borders and free trade which is the reason that many people are so prosperous these days so i hope that people can or people learn to distinguish between what is a cultural difference what is economic difference and that people are you're just more open-minded and accept that systems which you might even not feel comfortable with but they might work for other countries a healthy competition is needed that's fine i, I i'm not saying people should everyone should love each other and countries should just let things go their way but too much protectionism too much blaming is simply not good and what often happens now is that all this protectionism in the geopolitical arena is often used with one buzzword, 
national security. Everything that happens these days is, oh, we have to protect our country, national security, whatever it is. And that's often, it's just an excuse to play martyrs or to, to follow your own personal ideas or beliefs. And I think what happens, especially in the digital sphere now, these, all these fights, all the tech companies and so on, is at the end just a replacement for what people actually want to achieve. And I hope that there's definitely a, a certain change and we are not going too much in just the direction where we just blame other cultures and other, other systems. And of course, this applies to both sides at the end. So to um, summarize this a bit, um, I believe that China is not becoming as westernized as some people hope it or as some people still see it. Chinese admire the West still, but only certain aspects. And just like we might in the West, we might also admire certain things of, of the Asian culture. And as they are doing better and better, we might also make use of their strengths, copy a few things, think about, can we apply some of their achievements for ourselves? We shouldn't be so arrogant to think that everything we do is just better. They have also their, their um, fields of strengths, which we could use. And the same is what China does. This does not mean, however, that everyone has to just always keep adjusting and that we have one world at the end with one common culture and one common way. In China, there's a very smart saying. It's called Pigu Chuding Now Dai, which literally means your butt determines your brain. And that is basically the best summary you can have. And well, since you cannot really change your Pigu, your, your ass, it's also difficult to change your brain so easily. And why would you, right? I think China's message needs to be translated for a global audience. Um, they, they're partly doing a terrible job of presenting themselves, their messages, which are way more peaceful than it often seems. And um, yeah, this is why one reason why I have this podcast here, because a lot of the things China does needs to be translated. The Western media does a terrible job in translating it. So I think it's important that we read a bit between the lines. We understand what China is actually doing, what drives them. And we should often rather focus on our own issues first, then on common issues, before always blaming others and trying to implement our ideas and try to convince others that we are superior in all what we do. Because it's absolutely fine that everyone sees his culture as the most important. That's fine. But at the end, all cultures are equal. So just because you preserve your own culture does not mean you have to kill another. That's really important to understand. And that's one of the messages, one of the main messages that I want to give away today. And maybe with these words, you can just think a bit about it. And if you have any comments on this, please let me know in the comments of my LinkedIn post, which is available as this episode goes live. And uh, with that, thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.
Thanks for listening to the Dragon Folio China Podcast. As you've kept listening until now, I assume you enjoyed the show and would appreciate a five-star rating on your podcast app, which allows other folks to learn about this important topic as well. For more fascinating insights into China and for easy ways to benefit, make sure to visit the website at dragonfolio.net.